0: Well, thank you, Toby, and thank you, kids. Uh, It was a great uh, refresher on Christmas, and uh, unfortunately, we can't have everyone here together, but that gives us a little taste of what we normally have, which is our kids' choir up here singing carols, and I hope everyone's doing well at home. And uh, if you're just uh, tuning in with us, uh, I'm really glad to have you here with us for our Christmas Eve service. Um, I'm not sure about you, but uh, this Christmas... Uh, at least our family, we are watching more Christmas movies uh, than normal. I mean, we always watch a lot of Christmas movies, but this year, we're we're all inside, we can't go anywhere, and so that means we're going through, you know, our list of, of favorite Christmas movies uh, quite quickly, but I, I will, there's a line, though, that I will not cross when it comes to Christmas movies, and that is the Hallmark Christmas movie line. Now, no offense, if, if you love those movies, I mean, lots of people uh, love those movies. In fact, Uh, I read an article um, about the Hallmark Christmas productions and uh, was surprised to find out that they film uh, approximately 40 new Christmas movies every year because they want to make sure that on their Hallmark channel that you can just turn it on and leave it on 24-7 and never get many repeats when it comes to the Christmas movies that you are watching. Uh, Just uh, for a little sampler, just for fun, uh, I did a a Google search of the Hallmark Christmas specials and here is a a sample of what you could watch. there is the Christmas ornament. There is five-star Christmas. There is switched at Christmas. There's the sweetest Christmas. There's just-in-time for Christmas, right before Christmas. And for the cat lovers, cat lovers there is the nine lives of Christmas. Now, in truth, uh, I think we all know that uh, those are not really all different movies. I mean, they're basically the same movie that they make over and over and over again. Um, but I thought that was because, you know, at first I thought it's because they were just kind of lazy or maybe it saved money just to make the same movie but to tweak a few things. But actually, actually, they put a lot of work into being predictable. There is a, a nine-point plot structure that they try to stick to. And some of the plot points are uh, the almost kiss, uh, the temporary breakup, the Christmas activity montage, like they do Christmas cookie decorating, all that kind of thing. So Hallmark says, look, people like their movies because they are predictable. Uh, it's comforting for people to know exactly what's going to happen or how things are going to tur- turn out. It makes, it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. The reason I share this is because I, th- I think it's very possible to uh, think of the biblical Christmas story in this very same way. I mean, the nativity is, is something that by this point, we all know. Whether we're inside the church or outside the church, we, we, we can tell the nativity scene just by looking at its silhouette. We know, we know the characters, we know the sequence of events. There's Mary and Joseph, they get visited by an angel. Mary is pregnant with a child, they have to go to Bethlehem. That's where the child is born. All of a sudden, there's more angels, and there's shepherds and wise men, and then even more angels. It becomes very formulaic. And you see it everywhere. You see it in in Christmas specials, kids' Christmas plays. You see the nativity scene itself set up in people's lawns, on top of gas stations, on Christmas cards. It's all over the place. And we all know the story, and and whether we actually know the meaning behind the story or, or not doesn't really seem to make a difference. It just makes us feel warm and fuzzy to hear the story told. In fact, that's the climax of the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Or Charlie Brown is feeling very mopey. He's, he's wondering what the meaning of Christmas is. And finally, at the end, Linus just says, Charlie Brown, you want to know what Christmas is all about? And then the spotlight comes down, and Linus recites from the book of Luke. And he just, he just recites the biblical story. He doesn't need to explain it. Just hearing it makes us feel kind of warm and tingly. In fact, that's kind of my point. You know, because we hear the nativity story so much... Uh, we tend not to delve beneath the surface surface very much. Uh, but, but listen, the biblical story of Christmas is not a hallmark special. In fact, if we were to compare it to uh, a movie or a kind of movie, it would be one of those dramatic movies with, with compelling characters and, and movies that reveal something deep about humanity. I mean, that's what all good stories are, right? They tell us something about ourselves, and that's, that's actually what the Christmas story is like. But in fact, it doesn't just reveal something about humanity, it it reveals something about the nature of God himself and the hope that God brought into the world. So to get below uh, the surface of the story, we're going to look more closely at the person, the character at the center of it all, and that's, of course, the child. The child who is born in Bethlehem, born in a manger. The child who is heralded by angels, visited by shepherds worshipped by magi from the east the child who is the fulfillment of prophecies made hundreds of years earlier. See, we see in the biblical narrative something very fascinating about this child. I mean, there's lots of fascinating things, but one of the things that's interesting is that this child is given not one, but two names. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look into these two names because these names, when we understand uh, what they really mean and what they signify, it draws us nearer to the heart of the Christmas story. So, two names. Here's the first one, not surprisingly, Uh, The first name he's given is Jesus. Uh, Jesus, if you remember, Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married, um, which was a much bigger deal back then than it is today. And Mary was found to be pregnant with a child, which is a much bigger deal back then than it is today. And Joseph was very hurt, very angry, because to be engaged then was really a legally binding thing. And so he resolved to uh, divorce her quietly, didn't want to put her to shame. But then an angel of the Lord appears and speaks to Joseph, and here's what the angel says. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So what we see here is that this child is given a divinely ordained name because this child has a divinely ordained purpose. Uh, The two things go hand in hand. Uh, He's called Jesus because the name Jesus actually means to deliver or to rescue. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do, to to rescue people from their sin. That's the, the compelling purpose at the heart of the Christmas story. In fact... In fact, that's really at the heart of of the Christian faith, that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sin. But while this uh, purpose would have resonated with the people back in the first century, I think the necessity of being saved from sin is less obvious today. I mean, you, you might be thinking, or you might have thought at some point in your life, look, Sin is one of those things that Christians seem to worry a lot about, but no one else is really that worried about it. Uh, which means, if that's true, that the Christmas story is one of those stories uh, with a problem that's, that's not really a problem. Uh, I don't know about you, those, those movies, those stories, they really bug me. In fact, there are some Christmas movies that, uh, that are like this. Here's one uh, that my family and I watched recently. It's called Christmas with the Cranks. Now, this is a fun movie, it's got lots of slapstick and, and hijinks, but, but my issue with it is that really, at the center of this movie is a problem that's not really a problem. See, the two main characters, Tim Allen and Gordon Weaver, um, they decide to skip Christmas uh, because their daughter's not coming home, she's overseas, and so they want to save some money. Now, that in of itself is not really a problem, except that the main character, Tim Allen, he, he decides to make war with everyone who does want to celebrate Christmas. And so things escalate. He's at war with his neighbors in conflict at work. And the whole time, what I'm thinking is, look, all of this could be just done. It could be peaceful if they would just stop and talk to each other like normal human beings for like two minutes. It's not really a problem. See, some of us feel that we about sin. We think, look, there are a lot of problems in our world, uh, but but sin is not the top of my list. In fact, breaking 10 rules that were given to an ancient culture thousands of years ago, I mean, that's that's fairly low on my list of things that I think are a real problem for humanity. We may think that unless, unless we really understand what sin is and what it means. See, do you realize that in every instance of human heartache and suffering, something that the Bible would call sin is there at the center of it? I mean, I'm not just talking about the obvious things like like murder and theft. Of course, those are wrong; those are clear sins. But I'm talking about even the small things of our life, things like betrayal, things like relational breakdown, bigger things like coercion and fraud, racism, the socio socioeconomic disparity between classes. I mean, every instance of, of wrongdoing and, and injustice, all of, all of the big things, all of the corruption can be traced back to an attitude of the mind or of the heart that goes completely against what God says is best for us and for the world. I mean, that really is the nature of sin, that we say to God, look, we're gonna go our own way. Thanks very much, but we know what we're doing. We turn our backs and we go in our own direction and all manner of, of chaos ensues. See, Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments uh, into two main things. He says, basically, it's about loving God and about loving people. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd say that these are the two things that we, we don't do consistently, we don't do with integrity. In fact, if there are things that come naturally to us, it's, it's the opposite. It's thinking of ourselves. It's putting our own desires first and our own wants first. It's, it's turning a blind eye to the sufferings of others or taking advantage of those who are weaker than us. Now, we know this isn't good. I mean, humanity has spent a lot of time developing uh, ideologies and philosophies, uh, political parties to try to fix all of, the, all of the suffering, all of the injustice in our world. But the thing is that it doesn't ever work. I mean, I mean not, not for the long term, not, not effectively, not completely. And that's because the problems aren't out there in the world. they they're in the hearts of the individuals that make up our society. See, we are the problem. We, I mean, human beings are, are, are crooked and corrupt and, and full of selfishness and, and pride. I mean, the world is a mess because people make it a mess. Everyone's a mess. I mean, I mean not you. You're, you're wonderful. I'm wonderful. But everyone else in our life, we would agree, is, is making a mess of things. Well, here's how the Bible explains our problems. James 4, 1-4 says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James 1, 14 and 15 says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's the eventual ultimate consequence of sin, death itself. See, sin isn't a problem. It's the problem, the cause of all of the problems. And really, that's, that's the issue. I mean, if you think of um, the challenge that doctors face, uh, the, the issue that they need to figure out every time someone comes in with a, with a problem, with aches, with pains, with discomfort, is, is what is the root cause? I mean, there could be lots of Lots of issues, but there's no point treating a symptom. They need to get to the root issue. There's no point just managing pain if you don't deal with what's causing the pain. In fact, good doctors will put their patients through more pain and more discomfort so they can get to the root of the issue. That's what chemotherapy is all about. It causes more suffering, but it deals with the cancer that is plaguing the body. See, listen, there are a lot of problems in our world. But if we don't get to the root cause, then none of us have any hope. This is why we can't just see the Christmas story as a Hallmark special. Because it's not not just about the nativity. It's not just designed to make us feel warm and and fuzzy. It's about God bringing hope and healing to the deepest problem of humanity. And the most amazing thing about this hope that God brings is how he brings it. Because he, he brings it himself. And this gets us to the second name of the child. The child is not just called Jesus who will save his people from their sin. But secondly, the child is named Emmanuel. Let's look at it here in the story. Matthew 1, 22 to 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now those are also probably pretty familiar words, we hear those words read every time the Nativity story is told because it takes us, um, it portrays the central miraculous event at the center of the story. Uh, Mary uh, conceives a son even though she's a virgin. He isn't just a human child, he is, but he's, he's also the son of God and this is made very clear by the name that he is given, Emmanuel, a name which we are told means God with us. See, there's no fair way to read the Bible without coming to the conclusion that it, it says very clearly that Jesus is not just a man, he is divine. There's God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, who then is, is born as a human being and given the name Jesus. Now, that miraculous event is something that we could talk about, I mean, for days. I mean, how it happened, we could boggles the mind. But, but what I want to focus on is, is what it means. Because what it means is that God really cares about us. It's that God loves us. I mean, think about it this way. When, when we are going through a difficult time, you can tell which people in your life really care about you because they're the ones who draw near to you in your time of difficulty. They're the ones who are texting you, calling you, coming over to bring help. They're the ones who engage more. They, they, they draw near. The people that stop calling, the people that stop visiting, the people that kind of you don't hear from very much, they tend to be those that are just not as, as close. Because it's easy to be a friend when things are good. Because there, the, the relationship is reciprocal, right? You, you enjoy spending time together. We, we go to movies with our friends. We go bowling with our friends. We do things with our friends, or at least we used to. But when it's one-sided, when, when only one person has a lot of need and you're having to give and give and give, it it's, it's not as fun, It can become burdensome. In fact, relationships like that can become exhausting. And yet the willingness of one friend or one family member to draw near to someone who is in that kind of trouble, well, that reveals a certain level of love. In fact, that's one of the most purest example of what love looks like. And the greater the cost, the more that someone has to give, the greater the love that is being shown there. There's a story Uh, that I want to share with you, that exemplifies this kind of love. Uh, It's about a young couple named Ian and Larissa. Uh, We're going to put up a couple of pictures of them uh, when they started dating. Uh, They met in college. They dated for uh, about a year. They had plans uh, to get married after they graduated, but all of that was put on hold when Ian got in a serious car accident coming home from work one day. He had a severe head injury. They had to do extensive brain surgery and it left him with significant mobility issues with uh, severe cognitive impairment. In fact, even though Ian improved after the, uh, the initial surgery, he, he never regained his ability to really control his body. He, he couldn't feed himself. He had difficulty uh, communicating verbally. Well, right after the accident, uh, Larissa, she moved in with uh, Ian and his parents. She she wanted to help care for him and help with his therapy, and and she loved him. And a car accident wasn't going to change that. In fact, four years after the accident, Larissa was still there. And their relationship had grown in spite of all of the the challenges. And they decided they wanted to get married. Larissa wrote uh, an article, and the, the title of the article was this, Why We Got Married. And I want to read to you just a paragraph. And as I read, we're going to put up some some footage of them and their life together. So here's what she says. She says, Marrying Ian meant that I was signing on to things that I don't think I ever would have chosen for myself. Working my whole life, having a husband who can't be left alone, managing his caregivers, remembering to get the oil changed, advocating for medical care, balancing checkbooks, and on and on and on. The practical costs felt huge and those didn't even touch on the emotional and spiritual battles that I would face. But in light of all the practicals and the emotionals, it was so very simple. We love each other and we love God and we believe he is a sovereign and loving God who rules all things. See, before they could uh, get married, they needed a judge to approve their marriage because of Ian's condition. And here's what the judge said in his ruling. He said to them, you two exemplify what love is all about. I believe that this marriage will not only benefit you both, but our community. And I hope that everyone in the city could see your love for one another. See, Larissa's love for Ian was obvious to everyone because they could see everything that she was giving up, all the sacrifice she was making. that, That told them exactly how she felt about Ian, her commitment to Ian. And you see that That same kind of love is revealed to us in the story of Christmas. Because Jesus didn't just come to empathize with our sin, sin. he came to help us, he came to save us, he came to sacrifice for us so that things would get better. In fact, this takes us beyond the story of Christmas all the way to the story of Easter. Thirty some odd years later, when Jesus is an adult and when he willingly goes to the cross, here's the thing, it's not, sin doesn't just wreck things here and now. Sin wrecks things forever. It has eternal consequences. Because sin isn't really like like an illness or some uh, unfortunate set of circumstances that is thrust upon us. Sin is more like a crime. Because we willingly engage in it. We willingly turn our back on God. We willingly put ourselves first. We willingly hurt the people in our lives. So the only way for Jesus to save us was for him to take the penalty for our sin upon himself. And that meant suffering, that meant death, that meant separation from God the Father on the cross. See, in fact, the cross is where we get a very clear picture of how Jesus really feels about us. Because it's easy. It's easy to to put ourselves out there to sacrifice for someone uh, who's our friend or our family member someone who's fallen on hard times, and of course, we'll give everything we can to help them, but it's something different entirely to do that for someone who is against us, who's hurting us, who's betraying us. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus did. Let me read to you from Romans chapter five. It describes exactly what, what we see on the cross. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look, I'm not sure what kind of a Christmas season you're having so far. My guess, my guess is that it's filled with extra troubles this year. Extra difficulties, F, extra disappointments. But if you're tempted to believe that no one knows the, the challenges that you're going through, and that no one really cares about it, what we see in the Christmas story is that that's just not true. That God does know everything that we're going through and that Jesus willingly entered into our world so that he could, he could know what it's like to live in this sinful world and so that he could help us. And if we're tempted to think with everything that's been going on that, that God has kind of dropped the ball this year, that for 2020 it seems like God has taken his hands off the wheel, well, that isn't true either. I mean, 2,000 years ago, a child was born to a virgin. And his names, his names were Jesus and Emmanuel. And in those names, we know everything there is to know about the depth of God's love and the extent of his willingness to help us. I mean, God did not stay distant back then, and he's not distant today. God didn't leave us to fend for ourselves back then, and he, he hasn't left us on our own today. See, Jesus came and he died and he rose again. And as he was going back up to heaven, he promised that he would be with us. And he promised that for everyone who had faith in him, he would bring life and he would bring hope and he would bring peace. In fact, in the verse, when it talks about the child being named Jesus, it says that, that he would come to save his people from their sins. That doesn't mean that there's just a segment of people out there, a race, a nationality that are his. What it means is all those who call on his name all those who follow him, all those who recognize our sin and say we need help and come to him in faith, we are his people. We are the ones that he will help and save. See, the story of Christmas, it's the story of humanity. The hope of Christmas is the hope, the thing that each one of us needs to be rescued, to be loved, to be helped, not just in the hardships of the world, but most importantly, to be saved from our our very selves. So the story of Christmas is not a superficial hallmark story. It's not even a a fictional sort of holiday special. It is a true story, an ongoing story of the way in which God has entered into the world, the way in which he's, he's come to help all of humanity and the promises he's brought through a child named Jesus, named Emmanuel, who came out of love for us, to help us and to bring us closer to himself. So look, I'm gonna gonna close in prayer for us and then we're gonna sing one more carol. So join with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful for the story of Christmas, the story of your birth, of your entrance into this world. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone who's watching. Lord, I pray that you would visit them this Christmas. Bring them hope, bring them peace. Bring them what they need in the midst of their trials. And Lord Jesus, I pray most of all that there would be faith that grows in each heart so that we would know that in the difficulties of this life in the difficulties of life to come that that we do have hope that we can be near to you because our sins have been dealt with and because your love and your grace is changing us from the inside out. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.